Well, if you would turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 3, we're going to finish uh, Matthew chapter 3, sort of a carryover from our Christmas series. We were in the first part of Matthew chapter 3 last week. We're going to look at verses um, beginning in verse 13 through verse 17 today. As you turn there, let me make you aware of something else uh, today. I know many of you uh, try to read through the Bible throughout the year. Uh, January the 1st is always the day where we say, I'm going to read through the Bible this year, and we get Bible reading plans, and we do all of that. Um, Our staff and many in our church last year uh, worked on a project, Jesus uh, as the hero, Jesus the hero. There's, There's a book that's church as Jesus with the hero, and then Jesus the hero devotional that will take you and your family through the whole Bible in one year. And each day there are devotionals that uh, the pastor, staff, and then many in our congregation took part in writing that will take you through the whole Bible this year. And you can go to JesusTheHero.com, and one of the Uh, things that we've added this year is there will be audio scripture reading. Uh, Pastor Nate Bevere, you can pray for him. He is reading through the Bible uh, this year and recording it for us that on your way to work, uh, you can just click the link and he will read that passage to you on the way to work. Also, we're posting links to songs for that passage uh, each day of the year. And so take part in that. Uh, read the devotional. You can, uh, I think it's maybe in a Kindle version now. Uh, you can order it. We'll have copies for you in the back next week. They're all gone uh, right now. Uh, and we're, we're ordering some more, trying to get those in. Uh, but take advantage of that this year. And the great thing about it is you may miss a day. You may miss a week. And then you can just pick right back up when you get spiritual again uh, and want to read the Bible. Uh, But in in all seriousness, it is not something that we hang over your head. It's not something that should be hanging over your head. We want to delight in the story of the Bible, uh, and we want to make that as accessible to you as possible. Uh, So beginning today, take uh, take advantage uh, of that resource. Matthew chapter 3, if you would stand in reverence to the reading of God's perfect Word, and what a joy it is to to open the Scriptures and know that, that the Spirit of God, that, that God Himself is pointing us uh, directly to His glory in the face of Christ. And we don't have to guess who He is. We don't, we don't have to try to figure out how do we get to know Him. We know Him in the pages of Scripture, in the person of Jesus through the power of the Spirit. And we get to take part in that in these moments as we read Matthew chapter 3, verse 13. Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to John to be baptized by him. John would have prevented him saying, I need to be baptized by you. And do you come to me? But Jesus answered him, let it be so now, for thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. Then he consented. And when Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water. And behold, the heavens were opened up to him. And he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. 
And behold, a voice from heaven said, This is my beloved Son with whom I'm well pleased. Oh God, we pray today that you would help us see clearly uh, your gospel, the good news, as we see your Son declared and anointed your King in all power, in all authority, and even in all love. God, I pray that we would have a better glimpse of the gospel and what it has to do with our lives and what it has to do with our mission in the world. It's in the name of Christ we pray. Amen. I'm proud of you. Uh, I can vividly remember my dad saying those words to me twice in my whole life. Now, I am pretty sure he said that to me more than two times, uh, but there are two very special moments in my life where I remember him just sort of stopping everything and looking me in the eyes and saying, I'm proud of you. Uh, my dad was a very hard worker. Overall, I would say, looking back, he was a good dad. He provided for the family. He did everything that he knew to do to take care of us. He told me that he loved me uh, a lot. But that phrase, I'm proud of you, sticks out in two very significant moments in my life. First of all, it was on my wedding day. I was getting married to my wife, Danae, and we were in Orlando, Florida, and my dad had traveled down there and was taking part in the wedding festivities and all of that going on. Uh, and I remember him pulling me to the side and just looking me in the eyes and saying, I'm proud of you. And I think he said that because he was shocked that I was marrying up and that God had blessed me with such a wonderful wife in Danae. And I think he was just amazed by her. It really had not, didn't have much to do with me, but he was thinking, okay, you may mess the rest of this up, but if you've got her by your side, it's going to turn out okay. So I'm proud of this first decision that you're making here. And it was also uh, another moment in my life when I was being ordained as a pastor, ordained into gospel ministry. Uh, we had a service at my home church in Tennessee, and it, it, it just so happened that there were people from Ashland, uh, people from our church here in Lexington, Kentucky, that traveled to Tennessee to be a part of that service. And then Danae and I had spent some time in Alabama, in Birmingham, seven years there. And there were people from Birmingham that had traveled there. And then there were people that I grew up with and went to church with. And we crammed into this small country church. And my dad has not heard me preach very often but he came to that service and he, he was looking around at everything that was going on, all the people that were there. Uh, and, and after the service, after being commissioned to preach the gospel, he was the first one up front, looked me in the eyes with tears in his eyes and said, man, I am proud of you. And I'll tell you, those two moments in your life where you're getting married and for me, setting out on uh, this mission to proclaim the gospel, it's exactly what I needed. It validated me in ways that you won't believe. It sort of put still in my spine to hear from my dad, yes, you're doing the right thing. Yes, I'm, I'm proud of you as your father. And the reason why is because our identities... 
Our identities are so established by our dads, by our fathers. Now, I'm not just talking about an extension of some biological line that is being passed on, some sort of heritage. It is actually wired up in the way that we're created and the relationships that we have that our father and through the act of fatherhood, our identities are established, who we are, the way we will view ourselves in the world. Our dads have so much to do with that. And to know that our dads love us, to know that, uh, that our dads are committed to our good, that, are, that they're proud of us, there is a security in that. And we see that in the world all around us. We see in homes where there are no dads. And we see the identity crisis. We see the chaos that ensues. We see in homes where dads may be overbearing. And we see the way men, and we see even the way kids can never live up to expectations. And we see the way dads hardwire that into their kids. And it's pointing us to something cosmic. It's pointing us to something glorious. It's actually pointing us, even as bad as it can be in this world for some of us who may not have had good dads or who may not be good dads, it's pointing us to the glory of the gospel. And it's stirring up longings in our hearts for a perfect and righteous dad. And we see that on display here at the baptism of Jesus. We see this truth of fatherhood on display at His baptism. As we see here in our passage, the heavens open up and the Father speaks. And what we see here is not just some sort of sentimental attaboy. No, the heavenly Father is establishing, is declaring the very identity of the Son which infuses His mission and which has everything uh, to do with the way that we see ourselves in the Son. Notice, first of all, we see in our text, the Father affirms our judgment in the Son. Last week we talked about John the Baptist who's down here by the river and he's preaching this uh, baptism, this repentance because the kingdom of God is at hand in Jesus Christ. He says, you've got to turn from all other kingdoms. The power of God is present. The power of heaven is at hand. It can't be business as usual. Turn from your sin. Turn from all other kingdoms and bow to Jesus or you will be, as he said last week, judged by Jesus. And he turned to these religious leaders and puts them on blast. He says, you, you, you're down here, you Pharisees and Sadducees, and you're just, you're just children of the snake. You're offspring of snakes. You're down here, and what you're trying to do is just add one more thing to your religion, this baptism, but you don't understand. This is a baptism of fire. And you can't withstand it with your good works. And you don't think you need to be judged. You need to turn even from your religion. And you need to turn to this one who is Christ. And if that wasn't awkward enough, this interaction with the religious right and left, here in our text we see Jesus comes. Verse 13. 
Jesus came from Galilee. Remember, this out of nowhere, podunk town outside of Jerusalem. And now Jesus comes down to the Jordan River, this place where Israel had passed through into the promised land. And he comes to John, and notice the text says, to be baptized. John's preaching this repentance that's symbolized by baptism. And Jesus comes down to take part in this. And the text says John tried to prevent him. And notice the way John prevents him. He says, I need to be baptized by you. And you come to me? Remember, John's baptism is one of repentance. And he's saying, Jesus, you're the one who I just got through preaching about. You're the one that is mightier than me. You're the one that's going to come with a winnowing fork. And you're going to baptize with fire. You're going to purge us from our sins. And you're going to judge those who oppose you. You are the Lamb of God who would take away the sins of the world. And now you're standing here before me to be baptized? And John is confused. And he's probably embarrassed. You see, we get embarrassed when Jesus does things like this. We say, no, you're king of the world. You're, you're king of glory. You're our king. You've come to save us. And, and you come in a manger. That's embarrassing. You, you come in, in, in flesh and blood and you have no place to lay your head. You're born to this poor carpenter. And, and we get embarrassed when Jesus does things like that. And the story only continues here as Jesus stands there and says, I need to be baptized. And John says, no, 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 that violates my whole message. But it's true here. John, who is a sinner, does need to be baptized by Jesus. Does need to be Baptized, even his sin in the judgment that Jesus comes to baptize it with. And Jesus doesn't need to repent. But notice Jesus' response. Let it be so now, for in this moment, it is fitting, it makes sense to fulfill all righteousness, to fill in, to flesh out, to actually do what is righteous. And this fits in with what Jesus teaches that He did not come to abolish the law, to do away with the law, the commandments of God, the righteous requirements of God that we we see in, in the law, the Ten Commandments. He didn't come to do away with those. He came to flesh those out. And we see even in His baptism, He says it is right and it is fitting for me to submit in this way to display what righteousness looks like. It is right for a person to submit to the power and authority of the Father. It is right for a person to submit to the power and authority of the kingdom. And here Jesus stands before John and He says, if the kingdom is at hand, I will be the first to submit to its power and to live before God in holiness. And he displays that before, again, the scribes and Pharisees. That's just an outward fake righteousness. And Jesus is displaying genuine and true righteousness, submitting to the kingdom here. But the scandal is, and we would stand back and say, baptism is for sinners. And we talked about last week, that's what we say in our baptism. I deserve to die. 
I deserve to be immersed under in the wrath of God. I deserve to be held down and killed for my sin, only to be raised up in new life by another. That's what I need. That's what I deserve. And here we find Jesus, and it seems as though He's saying the same thing. And those who look on would say, yeah, He's just like us. I mean, isn't he Mary's son, Joseph's son? John, he's your cousin. Y'all grew up together. Surely he's a sinner just like us. And yet Jesus is saying something not about his sin. When Jesus says, I need to be baptized by you, John, he's not saying something about his sin. He's saying something about our sin. He's saying something about the religious leaders' sin who are standing by the river thinking they can just add one more thing to their life to please God. He's saying, no, no, no. I am the only one who is righteous. I am the only one who is perfect. And for righteousness to be achieved for your sin, I will be the first. I will have to be the first who is plunged under God's wrath for you. Jesus is declaring here and saying to, for all righteousness to be fulfilled, He is declaring the judgment that will come upon Him as He will endure the wrath of God on the cross. He is saying for righteousness to be fulfilled, I will have to pay for your sin, John. I will have to pay for these people's sin. I will have to pay for the sins of all of those who follow me for righteousness to be fulfilled. I will have to be immersed and suffocated under the wrath of God. And here Jesus pictures his death for us at the Jordan River. The only way we can have righteousness is that he would die for our sin. He's the only one who can do it. That's what he's saying here. You can't fulfill righteousness, the righteous requirement for your sin. And yet, that's the reason some of you are here today. Your, your past haunts you. Those moments that you, you, you look back on every day of your life and say, how could I have done that? Why would I have done that? How could I have allowed my life to spiral to the point where it was so out of control that I would have made that decision? You, you look back on seasons of your life where you were just rebellious. You were just a punk. You just wanted to do it your own way. And you look back and those days haunt you. And yet what Jesus is saying before you today is you can't do anything about it. You can't take that guilt away. You can't all of a sudden make yourself righteous. You can't fulfill righteous for yourself that will make those thoughts go, go away. You have to trust me and I will be plunged under for you. He is the only one who can do it for you. All your sin is what drowned him in the waters of God's wrath. Even your sin of self-righteousness. You see, some of us grew up, like myself, you were at church maybe three days old in the nursery. You, you, you grew up, you went to Mission Friends. Some of you don't even know what that is. You went to RAs, you went to GAs, did Bible drills. And pull that thing out and get to the... Yeah, I am the king of Bible drills. 
had those awards and plaques on your wall. You won the Timothy Award in Iwana. You went on all the youth retreats. You, you were in crew and BCM and campus outreach. You went to all three campus ministries while you were in college. And you've been living a lie. Because all along you thought you were fulfilling some sort of righteousness before God. And Jesus slaps you in the face and he assaults your pride just like he would have done to the religious leaders and say, no, in humility, I am the only one who can fulfill righteousness for you. And it will come in a humiliating death. The winnowing fork of God's wrath will be pierced through him. And all of God's fury, all, all of the anger that God would have towards you, all of the frustration that God would have toward your rebellion. He doesn't unleash it on you. He unleashes it upon Christ. And the only way it can be symbolized here is that Christ would be drowned. Christ would be immersed and pulled up by another. He is picturing forth the gospel, which is our only hope here. And the Father affirms it. Notice as we continue, He affirms his judgment for us. And here he affirms our status as sons in Christ. Notice verse 16. And when Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water and behold, the heavens were opened up to him. The, the text wants to thunder in here. When this happened to Jesus, something different began to occur. Immediately he came up and behold, remember the word behold throughout Matthew. It is to stop us in our tracks. It, is, it, is to, it, it tells us that the story is going in a different direction. Jesus' baptism is not like anyone else's down by the Jordan. Behold, the heavens opened up. And he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. As Jesus is baptized, the sky split open. And here we see the Spirit of God, the person of the Holy Spirit. Not just a sweet, lovely feeling. Now what he says here is the presence and power of the Holy Spirit who is a person comes down like a dove, doesn't become a dove, like a dove, and rest. And the word is that it settles on him like it has no other in human history. Here, as we talked about last week, Jesus is at the Jordan. John is creating this new people, this new kingdom, who will be this new Israel, who will be led through the waters of judgment in an exodus, who will be led through the waters of Jordan into the promised land. And Jesus is this next Moses. Jesus is the Joshua. But to lead the people of God from sin and bondage, he must submit to the power of God and the power comes in the person of the Holy Spirit and it settles on him and we see the power of the kingdom rest and anoint him but that's not it notice verse 17 and behold a voice from heaven said this is my beloved son again behold stop there's something unique happening here a voice from heaven, 
This is my beloved son. This is the one I am committed to. I have set my love upon. So far it's been the prophet. There's the kingdom of God. Right there he is. John, the the baptizer. Look, behold the Lamb of God who will take away the sins of the world. The kingdom is at hand in him. And all of a sudden the sky rips open and it's not just the prophet speaking. It is God himself. And he says, this is my beloved son. Son in the New Testament. It means to be like the father. And this is why Jesus would say things in the Gospel of John. If you've seen me, you've seen the father. Because we're just alike. And I am the one like the Father, doing what the Father does, displaying Him before you. Also, the word Son here refers to His anointing. It refers to His kingship. Adam was created in the image of God. That means He was created to rule and reign and take dominion. In the image of God, He was to image forth God's rule. And here, the Son of God, who is like the Father, is God's King, who the book of Hebrews says will be the exact image of God. Meaning He will display the exact rule of God in the world. And that's what God's saying. He's saying, everybody stop. This is my Son. He is my King. He is the center of the universe. He is the one who will rule over everything on my behalf. Stop. I love him. I'm committed to him. His plans and his purposes cannot be thwarted. And there wasn't a paparazzi. There wasn't a ceremony. As far as we know, John is the only one who really saw what was going on. There would have been people standing around going, What is he looking at? What what is going on there? Did you hear something? It sounded, I didn't know it was going to rain today. It sounded like thunder. What, What is going on here? And this wasn't necessarily meant for everyone standing around. It was meant for Jesus. There was the establishing here of his identity. As he moves out and does his ministry, as he accomplishes his mission, those words, this is my beloved son, are to echo in his head, to echo in his heart as he will face the cross as he will stand in a garden and the the wrath of God is before him to the point that he is so nervous, he is so anxious, he understands what the cross is to the point that blood begins to seep from his pores mixed with sweat. What is to echo in his mind is, this is my son. You are my son. This is to propel him on his mission. And we see it in the next episode. We see when Jesus goes out into the wilderness after his baptism and he is hungry. Who slithers up but Satan and says, Man, you're hungry? You're hungry. And what does he say to him? What is the question? If you are the Son of God. If you are the Son of God, then just speak to these rocks. 
And, and make yourself bread if you're hungry. And what does Jesus say? No, man does not live on bread alone, but every word that proceeds from God. And what word do you think he was remembering in those moments? What word do you think he was remembering? This is my beloved son. I am taking care of you out in the wilderness. And as Satan tempts him and says, you don't have enough power. You you don't have enough prestige. You don't have a name for yourself. Bow before me and I will give you all of this. And what does Jesus hear in those moments? You are my beloved son. There is a kingdom that is going to be given to you that will crush the head of the serpent, that will rule and reign human history. He believes the word of God. He believes the promise of God. He believes who he is in the wilderness. Even as Satan says, test God. He's not taking care of you. Jump off that building. See if Jesus believes, no, I have a father who is caring for me. And the gospel is this. When you believe in Christ, that same spirit that came and rested on Christ comes and rests upon you. The Bible says indwells you, lives within you, And we often think about the power of the Spirit and it's to jump buildings with a single bound and some sort of laser light show in in worship that that's the Spirit. No, the, the power of the Spirit in your life is that you live like a son. You live knowing your identity in Christ. You live knowing your inheritance in Christ. And we know that's where we live. We live in the wilderness. And Satan comes up to us and he looks at us and says, you're hungry, aren't you? You're hungry. You can't pay for your bills. You can't take care of yourself. Look at you. I thought you were a son of God. I thought you were a child of God. I thought you were a daughter of God. I thought that... And we hear the serpent speak to us that if God really loved me... I would have everything that I want. And yet the gospel rings in our ears through the power of the Spirit and says, no, in Christ you are beloved. In Christ you are a son. You are an heir to the kingdom. And that is the power of the Spirit in our life. When we are tempted to think, I don't have enough power. I don't have enough, I don't have enough name recognition. I don't have it every way that I want. And, and we're tempted to, to test God. The Spirit steps in and says, no, He is taking care of you. It is a reminder of the Gospel. And, and so often, the power of the Spirit is displayed Not in some sort of magic that's out there, but in the lives of believers who trust God and live in very difficult circumstances. Think about the Christians in your life who've made the most impact on your life. Those who have been able to do amazing things on stage. Those who have been able to counsel you in just amazing ways. No, they're those who just put their arm around you and they live life with you and they remind you of the gospel and you know it's real because you've seen them suffer. And that's the power of the Spirit. And the Word of God would say, there's the kingdom at hand right there. And this is what happens in the life of Jesus. Notice, though, 
Verse 17 continues, this voice from heaven said, this is my beloved son. This is my king. Beloved, I'm committed to him. But also it continues with whom I am well pleased. Not just committed to him. He's pleased in him. His pleasure and delight rest upon Jesus. The heart of God is displayed there. Who does God love the most? Jesus. Who does God find pleasure in the most? Here He tells us. It's Him. He is my King. He will fulfill my purposes. And I delight in Him. We see God's eternal delight in the Son on display. Throughout eternity. That's where God's affection has been set. On the Son. On the beloved Son in whom He is well pleased. He is delighted in Him. He is amazed by Him. And you know the great thing about the Gospel? Is when we believe in Him, when we trust in Him, we are wrapped into that same delight. The Gospel is that everything that is Christ becomes yours when you believe in Christ. And God looks upon you the same way He looks upon Jesus when you believe the Gospel. And so you can say, He has loved me in Christ. He sent His Son to display that I am beloved, that He is committed to me. But you can also say, He takes great pleasure in me. He he loves the Son more than anything. And if I am in the Son, He loves me more than anything. He is committed to the Son. Everything the Son faces is for the Son's good and His glory. He is committed to me. Everything that I face is for my good and His glory. He is delighted and He is pleased with the Son. He is delighted and He is pleased with me. You see, God is saying something not just about Jesus here. Remember, Jesus is identifying with His people. He's saying something about you if you're in the Son. You see, one of the things about the Christian life, enjoying the Christian life, and just enjoying life in general, is understanding God's not just tolerating you. That's what we think. God has to put up with me another day. God has to endure me another day. He's not enduring Jesus. He's not tolerating Jesus. He delights in Jesus. A lot of times you'll see parents and they're expecting this newborn and it's their first child and they have all these visions of grandeur about how this is going to be and what this is going to look like and this is just going to be glorious and then you talk to them three months after the baby is born and they are worn ragged and they don't have any sleep and there's vomit smell all over their clothes and they are worn out and a lot of times we think that's the way it is with God in us oh He thought I was going to be great. (laughs) That's why He saved me, right? He thought, wow, this one here, He's going to turn the world upside down for Jesus. He's going to be amazing. 
And then we get into it and God's all of a sudden had to change our diapers. He's all of a sudden had to put up with us and he smells like the vomit of all of our issues from the past. And we think, oh my goodness, if he could take me back, he would. Oh, that's not the gospel. It's not the gospel. God knew you would be high maintenance. I have to remind myself of that all the time when I think thoughts and I go, oh my word, how did I think that? Why did I think that? God must be so embarrassed. No, he knew that was coming. He knew you were going to be high maintenance. He knew you were going to be a spiritual twit. He knew you were going to be spiritually lazy. He knew all of that about you. And he sent your, his son to die for you in your place. He pursues you in Christ. He flings the doors open for you. Zephaniah tells us that he sings over you. He finds great joy and delight in you. Because he finds great joy and delight in Christ. And in Christ, you're everything that Christ is. Let, let's get that straight. Your sins have been paid for. Your righteousness has been achieved. Some of us think about it this way. Well, yeah, he loves Jesus and I'm friends with Jesus, so he has to put up with me. Jesus, I'm sort of the tag along with Jesus. No, 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 no. You are everything that Christ is because of the gospel, because of what Christ did for you, the death he died for you, and the life he lived for you. And so guess what? All of that pleasure and all of that delight that God has for Jesus, he has for you. He's not like some of the guests that you had over last night. Hey, New Year's was 1201. It's one time for you to go yeah you were fun in 2016 but it's 2017 I have to get up early that's not what God is doing God is saying come come to these waters of the gospel be reminded of what you have you see in 2017 we're going to put out there that our aim is to please Christ. We want to live a life of purpose. We want to do that as individuals. We want to, our goal every day is to aim to please Christ. We want to do that as a church. There are some goals that we're going to set out before us this year. Numeric goals, financial goals. We want to launch out in 2017 as, our, as a local church, as our own church this year. And we want to aim to please Christ in that. But the only way we're going to do that is, first of all, we understand the way that you aim to please Christ is that you, first of all, understand that in Christ, God is pleased with you. He's pleased with you. Embrace that. Be okay with that. Some of you are more fixated on your sin than God is. You're more fixated on what you do wrong than God is. You're more fixated on the way you've fallen short. You're more fixated on the, what you haven't accomplished yet and this sin you just can't get out of your life. And, and you're so fixated on that. And what God is fixated on is His Son. And if you're in His Son, He's fixated on Christ. And the goal of the Gospel is that you would look to the same thing God is looking to. 
And that's the gospel. And that's Jesus. And the way that you please Christ is you look to the gospel and you look to Jesus. Your sin cost the infinite Son of God His life. It is no trivial thing. But the way that you move past your sin is to move to Christ very quickly and to look to Christ. That's where God's gaze is set upon. The Father's love is set upon. Get to Christ. See, the reality is some of us, we have had bad dads. Some of us had great dads. They were always there. They coached our teams. They were, they were there all the time. You're thankful for that. Some of us had bad dads. They didn't know what they were doing. They weren't there. Some of them left. And we're, we're fixated on all of that. And it causes us to think of God in the same way. That, yeah, He loves me today. He may not love me tomorrow. And yet here, down by the Jordan, we have the perfect, righteous, holy Father looking down on the perfect, righteous, holy Son. And the presence of the perfect, righteous Holy Spirit comes down and rests upon Him. And they're not just saying something about each other. They're saying something about what they're about to do for you. And they're calling you into that family to have a perfect Father because you know your brother, the perfect Holy Son of God, and you're found in Him by the power of the Holy Spirit. Let's delight in the gospel this year before we aim to do anything else.